0: Welcome to the latest podcast from Greyfriars Church in Reading. Our vision is to see Reading transformed by the love and power of Jesus. You can find out more on our website, greyfriars.org.uk. Enjoy. Good morning. I always want to say how are we all doing, but it's a ridiculous thing to do with this many people. But I hope you're all well. It's lovely to be with you. Should we uh, should we pray, and then we're going to jump into that passage. Well, Lord God, we we want to thank you again for calling us as your people, gathering us in a family, and speaking to us by your Spirit through your Word. And God, we want to pray that in this time we have together now, you would. Uh, speak to us and shape us to look more like Jesus. And we ask this in his name. Amen. Amen. I I wonder uh, what is amongst maybe your family, with your uh, spouse or amongst your friends, what the most controversial purchase that you've made is. And as I ask that question, I can see some... Some husbands looking at wives, some wives looking at husbands. I'm aware that I am stirring the pot and stoking the fires of arguments. And I'm aware of that, I'm going to be honest, because of personal experience. And um, I thought I'd just share with you what is, uh, some have said, my most controversial uh, purchase. Because when uh, Steph, my wife, and I, when we got engaged, uh, when we organized a, a photographer for our wedding, as, as part of kind of the thing that they did for us, they, they offered us an engagement shoot, which felt very fancy, uh, just so we could kind of get to know them. And they suggested that what we did was kind of bring a prop along with us to make these photos unique to us. And my wife and I are both uh, musical. I was a worship pastor at the time, I, I, and so as a result, I play guitar because that's, that's what worship pastors do. Uh, and, and so we thought, well, uh, guitar's a bit too bulky to take along, uh, so why don't we go and get a ukulele? and we'll use that as a prop. And so, foolishly, my, my wife, Steph, sent me away to get it, thinking that I'd buy one of those. You probably see them, one of those kind of really colorful and cheap ukuleles, like kind of 10, 15 quid that lots of people get. She sent me off with this in mind, but I made a slightly different decision, and I, th- I thought of it as like an investment. I was like, well, you know, I'm a musician, and I play music as my job. If I get a good ukulele, you know, I'll use it all the time, and, and I can use it for my job, and it'd be well worth the investment. And so I went with a kind of different set of parameters to go and buy this ukulele. And I'll, I'll cut a long story short, because the shorter version makes me look better, because uh, <laughs> I'll give you less details. But I went, and, and let's just say I didn't get the cheap £15 ukulele. I got a, a slightly more expensive one. Um, and... It could be argued, and perhaps it has been argued by some, uh, that I haven't used that ukulele as much as maybe the price tag implied that I should have done. Never got used as part of my job. It's very rare that I get it out uh, even to this day. And so nine years on, um, this particular purchasing decision is sometimes raised again in our family. (laughs) If I have an idea of something to get, the ukulele is brought up because it was not the best purchasing decision I ever made. Maybe you have some of those amongst your friends and families as well. My ukulele was not a good decision, but let me tell you, buying that ukulele in terms of bad decisions pales in comparison to the purchase we read about in Jeremiah 32, do keep it open in front of you, the one we just heard read. Because Jeremiah, in that passage, you you heard it, he invests in real estate. But he does it uh, in a way and at a time that is utter foolishness. I don't care how bad your purchase was, it wasn't as stupid as Jeremiah's. But unlike me, perhaps unlike you, Jeremiah had a good reason for his purchase. Because This purchase we're going to see was a prophetic sign. It was a sign to God's people of what God was going to do. It was a sign of what God is always at work doing. And it was a sign of a reality that is powerful and it's true because of who God is. And it's this reality here. It's the reality we're going to spend most of our time thinking about this morning on the next slide. It's the reality that hope, is more powerful than disaster. And this morning we're going to see uh, this. We're going to see that hope is more powerful than disaster by looking at the three movements of this passage we just read. We're going to look at the situation that Israel was in, the sign that God gives them, and then we're going to look at the significance of that sign. So let's dive in. We're going to start by looking at the situation that Israel found themselves in. The events that are described at the beginning of the passage uh, took place in 588 BC. It took place during a time when Jerusalem, the, the capital of the kingdom of Judah, the kind of the part of the nation of Israel that was still going, it's when Jerusalem was under siege by the great superpower of its time, the nation of Babylon. And to be honest, things were looking and things were utterly hopeless. Israel's defeat was certain and it would in fact take place the following year. Jerusalem fell to the Babylonian invaders in 587 BC. Jerusalem was destroyed and God's people were taken away in captivity into exile. It was the darkest day in the history of God's people. But perhaps even worse, Than the situation that they were in, this historical event that took place, perhaps even worse was the reason that it happened to Israel. Because the prophet Jeremiah, we get this passage from, he at this point has been prophesying to the nation for some time, and he's been telling them that this disaster was on its way. He's been telling them that they would fall to the invasion of the Babylonians, but perhaps even worse than that, he's been telling them why it would happen. And the answer that he gives them is is that it's because of Israel's sin. You see, Israel had turned their back on God in all sorts of different ways. They'd begun to worship other gods and, and turn to idols that they made with their own hands. They'd stopped caring for the poor and vulnerable. That was God's most kind of repeated command almost in the Old Testament, to care for the least amongst his people. And as a result, injustice had spread Uh, like wildfire in their nation. And perhaps most shockingly to us, uh, they'd got caught up in the practice of child sacrifice, like the nations around them. they They were sacrificing their children to foreign gods, to appease them. And because of all of these things, because of the nation's sin, God, through his prophet Jeremiah, told them that he was coming to judge them for their sin, and that his tool for doing that was the nation of Babylon. So Israel was in a mess of their own making, and it seemed like they were about to get everything that they deserved. And yet, amazingly, what we see in this passage is that it wasn't going to be the end of the story for them, because God had a more beautiful and a better plan in mind. And so, into this terrible situation, we read that he sends a sign. And that sign takes the form of, of this utterly ridiculous investment decision that Jeremiah makes. It's what we read about from verse 6. Because you see, Hanamel, Jeremiah's cousin, he comes to Jeremiah with a request we don't know for certain the situation, but but almost certainly it was something like Hanamel, who's a a family member of Jeremiah, he'd fallen into debt, maybe because of the invasion that was happening all around them. He, He had a debt to pay that he couldn't, so he had to sell his field, he had to sell his property to someone in order to cover his costs. And so he turns to a family member, he turns to Jeremiah and says, will you take this field off my hands so I've got the money that I need? And we can perhaps understand why it's such a ridiculous request that he makes, an outrageous request that he makes of Jeremiah. Because not only is Hanumel trying to sell a piece of land in a nation that in any moment is going to be utterly defeated and captured by the Babylonians, any sense of land ownership for God's people is about to be meaningless Not worth the paper that it's written on because all of that land is about to be taken away from them by the invading force. But more than that, Hannibal is making this request to a man who we saw in verse 2 is a prisoner. He's not free to go to this piece of land that he's being offered to buy. He's being held in the courts of the king. So even if that land wasn't about to be taken away by the enemy, which it was, there's nothing that Jeremiah could do with it. He was a prisoner. And yet, to buy it would be madness, but Jeremiah chooses to. He says that he will buy the land, and then he does this really weird thing with the deeds of purchase. Because verse 13 tells us that he takes them and he stores them away in a a clay jar. Now, clay jars were kind of like the cloud-based backup system of 588 BC. It's like the, the, the deposit box in the bank uh, of ancient Israel. And they would have looked something like this. I've got a picture of them on the screen. Uh, these are um, the, the clay jars, or very similar to the ones that, if you've heard of them, the Dead Sea Scrolls were found in. The Dead Sea Scrolls are, are copies of ancient uh, biblical fragments and other writing that we have from something that's called the Qumran community in Israel. Uh, and they contained fragments of the Bible, the ones that we have in front of us where we get our earliest manuscripts, some of which are 2,300 years old. Clay jars are a really good way, if you're in ancient Israel, of storing documents that you want to last for a really long time. And so Jeremiah goes and gets himself a clay jar. He rolls up his deeds of purchase and he stores them away somewhere he knows that they will be safe. Utterly useless documents, preserved and kept safe. And so the question, of course, is why? Why does God tell Jeremiah to make this ridiculous purchase and why does he then think it's important that he stores them away so that they're safe? And well the answer is all to do with the generosity of God. Because you see, the situation that God's people were facing was, as we've said, it, it wasn't just seemingly hopeless. it was actually hopeless. The Babylonians were going to defeat God's people. They were going to destroy Jerusalem, and they were going to drag off its people into captivity in a foreign land. Disaster was on the way. In fact, it was a year away at the point that Jeremiah gives this prophecy. But God wanted to give his people, uh, he wanted to give them a hope. That was more powerful than disaster. A hope that was more powerful than the disaster that was about to hit them. Because here's what God is saying, and we see this particularly in verse 15. God is saying that the coming disaster would not be the end of the story for Israel. Because yes, even though they would be Defeated. A time was coming beyond that defeat in which the nation would be restored and the people would return to their land. And therefore the implication is that their relationship with their God would be redeemed. And so as a, as a sign of all that, as a sign of the certainty of what was to come, Jeremiah is told to safely store away the proof that this land belonged to him. Because what he's being told to say is that one day again, that will mean something. Yes, we're about to lose our land and everything it represents, but one day, it's certain, I can put it in a clay jar. It doesn't sound that impressive today, but believe me, it was impressive back then. I can put it in a clay jar. This will come to pass. There is hope that is stronger than this disaster. You know, I think it's important that we note at this point what kind of hope God offers here. Because it's not the hope perhaps we would want him to offer. It's not the hope that disaster wouldn't come. Because that was still going to happen. And the hope that God offers is, is deeper and more profound than that. Because remember, what's about to happen is a result of Israel's own actions. It's a result of who they'd become and, and what they were doing. And the thing we need to remember about God is that God gives us the dignity of causality. God respects us enough to make it so that our actions actually mean something. Then when we do something and things result, we, we actually have an impact on the world and sometimes that impact isn't good. But God honours us enough to, to allow our actions to mean something. And so Israel's actions, what they mean is that they're led into destruction. But God's kindness to the ones, these people that he has chosen and that he loves, is that even a self-made disaster is not the end of their story. God alone is the author of their destinies. And so he offers them a hope that is more powerful than the disaster they have made. And I don't know about you, but but for me at least, that is good news, because how often do we find ourselves wading through muck in our lives? And sometimes that's the result of other people's wrongdoing, and sometimes that's a result of the brokenness of the world, but yes, sometimes that is a result of something that I have done myself. And the generosity of God on display in the prophet Jeremiah is that even our own messes are not the end of our stories. We have a hope that is more powerful. It's more powerful than whatever we might be facing that that goes beyond the disasters of our lives and promises to take us beyond as well. If you're, a, if you're a member of Greyfriars, if you've been here before, um, you, you might have picked up that I, I like the Lord of the Rings. Um, and I've been really well behaved, and I've not talked about Lord of the Rings so much from the front recently, so I've earned this one. Uh, and I'm, I'm going to talk about the Lord of the Rings, because it's excellent, and I love it, and it's very relevant. And if you know the story, there's this bit at the end of the final book when the Hobbit Sam and Frodo are, are heading towards Mount Doom in the land of Mordor. They want to destroy the one ring. And they are trudging through, through what is basically hell on earth. And their hands and knees are trying to get to this destination. And everything around them is, is bleak and awful and, and terrifying. But there's this moment when, when they're going to sleep and, and Sam looks up into the sky. And it's usually completely filled with smoke. But, but there's this moment when the clouds part. And just peeking through, he can see a a pinprick of starlight. And J.R. Tolkien has him say this. He says, In the end, the shadow is only a small and passing thing. There is light and high beauty forever beyond its reach. And then a little bit later on in the story when, when, spoiler alert, evil has been defeated. And Frodo's there and, and he's kind of seeing all these people. He thought, were dead, are actually alive, and everything's kind of, he's made it through. And he asks this question, he says, is everything sad going to come untrue? And you know, I think in the Christian life, when we're crawling through the mud, God offers us a hope that shines through the darkness. And it's a hope of a time that is coming when the answer to the question, is everything sad going to come untrue, is an emphatic yes Yes, it is. But you know, it's a, it's a hope that's even more significant than a reality about the future that we can hold on to. Because more than that, it's a hope that God offers us that we are held onto by the one who knows our situation and cares for us. Because the story of the Bible, the story of Jesus Christ, God himself, who comes to live as one of us for us, carrying all our shame and sin to the cross on our behalf and coming through to the other side of death in victory and resurrection life that he holds out to those who repent and believe in him. The story of Jesus Christ is the story of the one who went through the ultimate disaster, on our behalf and came out the other side and comes back with hope to lead us through into the life he has won. There's a story I think I've told here once before of of a man who falls in a hole and he can't get out and a a doctor walks past him and the man in the hole cries out and says, doctor, can you help me? I'm stuck in this hole and I can't get out and the doctor writes a prescription and throws it in the hole and keeps on walking and then a a vicar walks past and the man says you know what do you call a vicar father I'm stuck in this hole and I, I can't get out can you help me and the vicar writes a prayer and he throws it in the hole and he keeps on walking and the guy down the hole his friend walks past and he says mate I'm stuck in this hole can you help me and his friend jumps down as well And the guy in the hole says, what on earth are you doing? Now we're both stuck down here. And his friend says, yeah, I know that, but I've been down here before. And I know the way out. Jesus has jumped into the mess with us. But he knows the way out. He's been here before. And he offers us, he offers to take us with him. And so this morning... Maybe you feel like you're stuck down a hole. Maybe you're surrounded by disaster. Maybe it's a mess of your own making. Well, I believe that God would have us look at Jeremiah 32 today in order to tell us that Jesus has jumped into the hole with you. And he knows the way out. Jesus is God's generosity To us, Jesus is our hope that is more powerful than any disaster we might be facing. And so, this morning, I believe that God holds out hope to us and He invites us to cling on. And His name is Jesus. And He is the one who promises He will never let go of you and who has worked in this world so that one day everything sad might become. Untrue. And until that time, as perhaps like Israel, we find ourselves in the midst of disaster, he promises us that he holds on to us. And so perhaps this morning you need to know that hope. Perhaps in the coming week you need to offer that hope to someone else. Or perhaps you need to know this man, Jesus Christ, who is God's hope for us for the first time. This morning, God holds out hope to us in the midst of disaster. And so I'd love to pray that we'd know it, that we'd be able to hold on to it. But perhaps even more than that, that we would know this hope who is called Jesus holding on to us. So I'm going to pray. Can I invite you to stand if you're able? And I'm going to pray for those three things, that we might know hope, that we might be able to offer hope, and that perhaps for the first time we might know Jesus Christ as God's hope for us. So let's pray. And perhaps if uh, any of those particularly resonate with you, if you you know you need one of those, why don't you join me in praying, And, and however you find that most helpful, you might want to kneel or close your eyes or hold your hands in front of you or just something to show God that you long for the hope that he has to offer and so let's pray Lord Jesus Christ God I want to thank you for the hope that you offer us and that it's hope that's more than an idea it's more than a date on the calendar that's coming up it's more than a reality that we can expect but first and foremost the hope that you offer us is a person And his name is Jesus Christ. And so God, I want to pray this morning for my brothers and sisters who are longing for hope. Who are in the midst of disaster. Who feel like they're crawling through mud. God, perhaps particularly for those who feel this morning like it's a mess of their own making. And God, I want to pray that you would even now, by your spirit, step close in the person of Jesus Christ and that you would hold on to them. And God, that they would know, not strength to hold you, but the reality that you are holding them. God, for those who need hope in Jesus Christ, I pray now that you would give it to them by your spirit. And God, for those who are carrying in their hearts someone that they love and they know need hope, God, I pray that you would now empower them by your spirit. To be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ even in the coming days and weeks. God would you make us your people carriers of hope. And Lord God for those of us who don't yet know you as our Lord and Saviour but to whom you're calling, who perhaps even now feel just a nudge in their spirit to say yes to Jesus, to to leave their old life behind and whatever it means to follow you. God, I pray now you would come and resurrect them by your Spirit and lead them with Jesus through death and out the other side into new resurrection life. So Spirit of God, we long for your power at work this morning and ask in whatever way you are coming to offer us hope, you bring it now. So come, Spirit of God. And let's just wait for a moment. we were praying this morning, I just had a, a particular sense, we uh, have already said it, but that God wants to impress upon some of us that I just wonder if there are some people here, maybe it's just one of you but I doubt it who, who you know you're in the middle of disaster, you're crawling through mud and the worst thing is, is that you know you're the one who caused it you know you're in the middle of a situation that's entirely your own making and there's a voice that's just nagging in your head saying, God can't God can't bring hope there. Like, I get it, if someone else does something to a person, God God can redeem it, but not me. I did this to myself. And I think God's brought me here this morning to to tell you that that that's God's speciality. That basically every mess that we find ourselves in is a mess of our own making. And God knows that you've done this to yourself. And his word to you now, and hear this, his word to you now is that he loves you. He loves you and he he wants to forgive you and he has hope for you through the other side doesn't mean it won't be messy but Jesus has been through he knows where you are and he wants to take you through the other side and so God particularly for those who feel burdened by their own mistakes I pray now for a sense of your love and your compassion. God, I pray that you would lead them into repentance, but then let them know how fully you forgive them. And God, would you redeem each of our stories with the hope of Jesus Christ? we're going to worship if you just need to keep on praying please do you might want to turn someone next to you or maybe a couple of us will just be ready at the back if you would just long for someone to bless you and pray with you then then i'll be at the back and maybe a few others will we'd love to pray with you but otherwise let's worship the god who takes us through